0: Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I think I got to meet a fair number of folks this morning as everybody was getting ready to come in, but if I didn't get to meet you, um, my name is Kelly Hudlow. I am a deacon in the diocese. I work for Bishop Sloan's office doing communications, and I also teach in the Alabama Integrative Ministry School uh, that we shortened that very long name to the Ames program. Um, And Sally Herring has been here as a seminary intern through our program. And so I get to kind of go around uh, to our students' locations and lay my eyes on them and make sure they really are here. And I jokingly say they can line folks up to say nice things about them, or if you need to say not nice things, you can line up too. But I have a feeling with Sally that I would hear lots of nice things and we are so very thankful and grateful that the community of St. Mark's has opened your community and your church doors to include her in the life of this parish. Um, when I was doing the visit, I also got the bonus of Jane was willing to to let me take the pulpit and preach for a, a Sunday. I, I love to preach, and so i 'm glad to be with you here on this Sunday morning to dive into some interesting readings that the lectionary has given us, including Jesus sitting there talking about how we should have dinner parties. Now, growing up, we didn 't have a lot of fancy dinner parties at my house. When I went to my grandmother Christine's house in Fort Walton Beach, it was a little bit more formal. That's where I actually learned how to like, set a table when you had more than just like, a regular knife and a regular fork that went on whatever side of the plate it happened to land on that particular evening. But I like, actually learned how to set... A table, and so this whole who gets to sit where doesn't really resonate with me. But when I was reading this gospel, it made me think of a TV show that I must confess I like to kind of binge watch on a on Amazon Prime, where you can stream TV shows back to back to back. Um, and it's a, it's a show that came on PBS called Downton Abbey. It's set in England in the early 20th century when there were still lots of rules about how you were supposed to act and how dinner parties were supposed to go and who set where and all of this. And a lot of the the drama, the, the kind of conversation and back and forth with the characters happens around, not a dinner table, but it's a dining table in a formal room where it's got more forks than I probably have in my drawer right now, like on the table for everybody and there's crystal glasses and and it's this very, very formal setting. I actually have an expert that works full time for this show to make sure that like the forks are where they're supposed to be and that the actors don't break character and like hug somebody or do something that wouldn't happen in a Lord's estate in early 20th century England because the rules were that strict, like they're, they're written down, like we know how they were supposed to act. And so when you see the folks in Downton Abbey sitting at the dining table, it's not just there to eat, but it's there to show who is the most important guest Who's in charge, right? So the the Lord, Lord Grantham, who runs the whole show, is always sat in a place of prominence. And you can figure out how important you are by how close you are sitting to him. Or if they have a particularly interesting guest or a character, which sometimes would show up on the show, you might put your important people next to the interesting person that's kind of there to entertain you for the evening, you know pretty quickly where you stand walking into a dining room and being sat at a table like that. The reading this morning kind of makes me think about this because we find Jesus not just at a regular table eating, right? We hear, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, lots of stories about Jesus eating dinner and being with people. And we typically associate Jesus eating dinner and being with all sorts of wrong kind of folks, sinners and tax collectors, right? Jesus didn't really care who was around the table. But this morning we get a reading where they tell us that Jesus is going to have the Sabbath meal at a leader of the Pharisees. Jesus is sort of walking into Downton Abbey. This is not just where we get to lay around and and share uh, cups of wine and pass bread. This is sort of a place to see and be seen. And Jesus is standing there watching folks kind of navigate their ways to be able to be seated in the place of most importance. Apparently, the Pharisees didn't have name cards like they did in Downton Abbey. And so when he's watching what's going on, Jesus kind of stops and decides to give two instructive parables. The first one is addressed to those people that are trying to sit in the best place. And Jesus says, don't take the best seat because you might be asked to move, because you may not be as important as you think you are. So take the lowest seat, and maybe you'll get lucky and be asked to move up. The second parable he tells to the host, to the leader that is offering this party, and says, when you throw a party next time, don't invite these people that are here, these wealthy, powerful people, that can return the favor, but you need to go out and invite the powerless and the poor and the undesirable who could never pay you back for your hospitality. Now, these aren't my favorite parables of Jesus. They're a little too self-helpy, a little too like how to succeed in business or how to win friends and influence people for me. I'm not really comfortable with this version of Jesus, but I believe that there's something really important in these parables that we need to hear. First, these instructions are exactly about how we should throw dinner parties. They are instructions about how we should use our privilege and power when we have it to welcome and invite people in to receive hospitality and to make sure that we use what we have to honor and lift others up, not to put them down. And if we're the host, we should make sure that the hospitality isn't dependent on somebody's ability to return the favor. Now, Jesus' parables aren't just about that dinner table on that particular Sabbath, but they're also about the Lord's table that we come to this morning. When we gather around the altar, we shouldn't rush to try to get what might be the best place. We shouldn't make a show of things about how we come to receive communion We also don't check people's tithe sheets or their sin scorecard at the altar rail before we give them the bread and wine. All of us, ordained lay people, old, young men, women, lifetime members of the church, or new visitors, come in the same way, humbly hands outstretched, because the grace that we receive here at the Lord's table, we are absolutely incapable of paying for or paying back. Jesus's parable that seems to be just about dinner parties I think is a bit more about this mutual love that we hear about in the letter to the Hebrews. In this letter, they talk about that we should have mutual love with each other and we should offer hospitality because in doing so, some have entertained angels. But Jesus goes a step farther because he says hospitality isn't conditioned on anything, not even the possibility that you might end up with an angel at your dinner table. Welcome, mutual love, and hospitality should be offered the way God offers it, unearned and undeserved. It's this mutual love that Jesus is pointing to through his parables and that is spoken about in the letter to the Hebrews that draws us together as the community of the body of Christ around the table. And when we come here, we come together to remember through our worship, through breaking of bread and drinking of wine, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But Hebrews tells us that we're also called to do our own remembering in this moment, not just of Jesus, but when we come here to the Lord's table, we should also remember those who are suffering in prison and tortured. And Hebrews calls us to remember, not just as, oh, there are some folks sitting in the county jail this morning that are probably not having a good day, but Hebrews tells us we should remember them as though we were there in the jail cell with them. We should remember them the way God remembers us, as in we are never alone and God is always with us. We should remember them, and we should remember them the way God does, because when God remembers, God acts. When God remembered the people of Israel, he brought them out of slavery and delivered them to the promised land. So we who are gathered here, who have the privilege to be here today, to meet the risen Jesus at the Lord's table, are given the challenge of how, once we are at this dinner party set by the Lord, we will remember those who are suffering and hurting in this world as though we were with them. How will we remember the victims, survivors, and grieving families of those shot and killed yesterday in Texas? How will we remember as though we were with them, the men and women in our jails and prisons? How will we remember as though we were one of them and with them, the immigrants that come to our borders fleeing violence and oppression? How do we remember as though we were one of them and with them, those that go hungry and thirsty in the wealthiest nation in the world. How do we remember the ones that are ostracized, attacked, or killed because of their race, or gender, or nationality, or sexual orientation? How do we remember those waiting in fear for a hurricane to come ashore? How do we remember all those that our society would feel better forgetting? How do we remember them and then invite them into the hospitality and love and grace of Jesus Christ? And how do we remove our remembering to action? Because when God remembers, God acts. I usually try to avoid taking issue with the lectionary writers, and I caution my students in homiletics in our class about preaching to be careful if they want to point that the lectionary writers have left something out. But this Sunday morning they have in the letter from Hebrews, and I think it's important and it's a key. If you kind of notice the way the verse numbers are, one to eight and then 15 through 16, you see there's a middle section that's missing. In that middle section, the writer of Hebrews tells us and reminds us when talking about remembering that Jesus' suffering on the cross to save us didn't happen in the finery of the temple or the holy of holies. Instead, the suffering of Christ on the cross happened outside of the city gates. And the writer then challenges us to go outside to where Jesus suffered, outside the doors of where we are comfortable, outside of our places of worship, and to bear what Christ endured. The same Jesus that yesterday ate with sinners and Pharisees, and challenged us to throw better parties and to do better in our world is the same Jesus Christ today that challenges us to remember the people the world would prefer to forget. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it is only through Christ that we can make a sacrifice to God of lips that confess his name And it is only through Christ that we are able to not forget to do good and to share what we have with all those that we meet. Amen.